0: podcast
1: one. How do you start a podcast? This is it. (laughs) I don't know. We're off. We're away. Uh, Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome to Listen Able. Uh, It's a podcast that Dylan and I had the idea of starting and It's funny to sit in the chair behind the microphone and have an idea actually turn into something.
0: Yeah, it really is. We're super excited about it as well. And um, I think one of the things that I'm most excited about is I've had a disability my whole life. But guess who came up with the idea of a podcast because they wanted to learn more about a community they didn't know? Yeah, yours truly. That That was you, Angus. And I love that because this podcast is about disability. It's about people with disability. It's about their families. It's about technologies to help people with disabilities, but it's not just for people with disabilities.
1: No, it's the curiosity of myself, you know, included. Uh, I, I hosted an event for you uh, called Beyond Barriers about getting rid of the prejudice that people have an unconscious bias towards mm-hmm. people in disability. And we're we'll talking more about it, uh, unemployment and employment, but it was the stories that some of your friends within the community told and it shocked me. And I was like, I actually want to know more And so, hence we're sitting behind microphones ready to tell those stories.
0: Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that hit you as well, and it hit me when I found out, do you know there are over 4.5 million Australians Mm. with some form of disability, intellectual, physical or sensory? 1.3 billion people all around the world. It actually affects everybody because, for example, I'm a white male Australian who's straight. I don't know what it's like to be gay. I don't know what it's like to be from an Asian country or whatever it is. But all those minority groups can and will be affected by disability. Mm-hmm. It's the only one that doesn't discriminate. It will touch you, if not you directly, it'll be your mum, your partner, your kids, you know what I mean? And I think it's so awesome to be able to educate everybody on, about it and that's why we started Listen
1: Able, baby! And we're here. We're going to, before we introduce you to our first guest and hear their story um, about living with a disability... My name is Angus O'Loughlin and I host a radio show on the weekends on Hit Network with Dylan. So we've become incredibly close great mates and it's a privilege to share this podcast with you. But let's give out the little keynote, I guess, that we came up with, kind of the sentence that describes what we're here to do. So we said that, Listenable will challenge what you think it's like to live with a disability and we'll be speaking to people living with disabilities about their lives and ask them the questions you thought were off limits. You're going to laugh. You'll probably cry. You'll learn something. Uh, This is a podcast for everyone, disability or abled, and hopes to break down the stigmas, change some perceptions and challenge what you think it's like to live with a disability. This podcast isn't uncomfortable, Dylan. It's listenable. It's
0: listenable.
1: Let's meet our first guest.
0: Hi, my name is Dylan Alcott. Uh, I'm an Australian tennis player, uh, Paralympian. Radio host, TV host. Uh, author. Best-selling. Best-selling author and podcaster.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's one of your <laughs> – uh, that's, a, that's a new string to your bow. What is your disability?
0: Uh, my disability is I'm a paraplegic from birth. I was born with a tumour wrapped around my spinal cord that was cut out when I was only a couple of days old. Uh, but in doing so, it left me a paraplegic, so I've been uh, – in a wheelchair my whole life.
1: I get to uh, throw as many questions as I want at a mate, a friend, and it's a great opportunity. So hopefully uh, I do everyone listening who wants to know more about you and your story proud. First of all, like I said, I'm quite ignorant to the community and that's why we did this podcast. Can you tell me the difference between paraplegic and quadriplegic?
0: Yeah, for sure. So paraplegic is when you have two limbs affected from your disability so because my uh, where my tumour was wrapped around my spinal cord there's different levels in your spine yeah. mine went through all di- a bunch of levels but as high as T6 which means it only affects from T6 down which is about 3 or 4 centimetres under my nipples okay. down I've got a little bit of feeling in my legs because mine's incomplete. If it's a complete cut of your of your spinal cord, you can feel nothing. Yeah. So I've got a tiny bit of movement and a little bit of feeling. And a quadriplegic is someone that has four limbs affected. So it's normally a break of your neck. So when you think quadriplegic, you might think, you know, someone like, Stephen Hawking or somewhere like that, because they can't move their arms at all. head only. Head only. However, if it's an incomplete quadriplegic, so only a partial break of the spinal cord, it means you can move your arms a little bit as well.
1: I don't feel comfortable using the word disability. Is that weird? Do you get told that that's... I don't like talking to you and saying the word disabled. It's not offensive, though, is it, for me as an able-bodied person to... Label it as your disability.
0: No, it's not at all. I love having a disability, and I'm quite proud of it. But it's quite interesting. I'm going to ask you two questions, and I want you to give me the answer. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what the Paralympic Games is?
1: Yes, I do. What is it? It's the Olympic Games for people who have a disability.
0: Correct. But you feel awkward saying that, don't you?
1: Yeah. Because when a you bit. ask
0: people, you go, everyone goes, oh, it's the Olympics for. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And it's, I, right, I started. And the reason people shy away from it is because we think of disability as a negative thing, Mm -hmm. a bad thing. So we don't want to say it to people like it is a bad thing. Uh, I think the more people own having a disability, the more it makes everybody comfortable about it. But in saying that, don't feel too bad because I know people in the disabled community, in particular parents Mm. who have kids with disabilities, and I go up to little kids, they'll be in a wheelchair, and I'll go, oh, g'day, buddy, what's your name? Oh, my name's Sam. What's your disability? And the parent go, Sam hasn't got a disability. Oh. And I go... Sam does have a disability. And guess what? There's nothing wrong with that. But if the disabled community shy away from saying it, well, then the able-bodied community will pretend like we're not there. I think it's okay to have a disability. It can be sexy. It can be cool. It can be fun. Mm. But yeah, I encourage every single person to be comfortable with saying that word because as I said, it's a fact.
1: Going back to what you said at the top about your paraplegia. Is that the yep, right, prior right? Prior yep, All right. Course. It's incomplete. So obviously we, we do host a radio show together. We do weekend breakfast. Like you said, I didn't know that it was incomplete because I've always wondered, you'll take your shoes off in the studio and I'll be like, why are you taking your shoes off? And you said, because my feet sore, my yeah. foot sore. And I'm like, and I've never kind of questioned you past that until now. So it's because you haven't got a full cut. Or was it was A full
0: break of my spine, yeah. Right. Because my tumour was wrapped around, it damaged majority of everything. Yeah. However, there's some nerves that didn't get damaged very minimal but enough to be able to feel my foot when it's getting sore one thing that a lot of people struggle with when you sit in a wheelchair especially paraplegics and quadriplegics who are complete who have no feeling is things called like pressure sores Mm. it's when you sit on your bum too much and then you get a little cut and that cut becomes a big sore and then it gets infected and then it doesn't heal because you can't put pressure on a cut but if you sit on it It doesn't get any better. So I'm very lucky that I have a little bit of feeling to go, "Mm, I think my bum's getting sore, to be able to check if I've got something going on.
1: And you've got the burn on your leg as well, which is an interesting story. I
0: do. I have a big burn on my knee. It's one of my favourite stories. I went out on the lash and I was super pissed, (laughs) like proper. (laughs) Got home at 4am and I, I, I actually ordered McDonald's, so drunk, left it on the bed and didn't eat it. Like I was wasted. And I'm dreaming that, you know when you dream you've really got to do a pee? Or whatever, and you wake mm. up. You like, got to go to the bathroom. I was dreaming that my knee was really sore, but I was kind of weird. And anyway, I woke up and going, "Shit, my knee's hurting." I rolled over, and my kneecap had been burnt off by my laptop charger. You remember yeah. how how hot laptop Back chargers in the day used to of get? Course. So my knee's been resting on it the whole night. And, and your
1: dream was the reality. The reality. Uh, let's go back to Dylan Alcott as a baby. Have you spoken to your parents about the reaction when they found out about your tumour and when the doctors, did the doctor say to them, your son's going to be paraplegic?
0: I wrote this in my book and I actually wrote my book myself. It's called Able, coincidentally, and I had to interview my parents about this. So I learned a couple of things. One, when they did the ultrasound, they had no idea that there was a big tumour the size of half a melon stuck on my back. They didn't see it. So I must have been turned the other way. In mum's stomach when they did the ultrasound so i was born and mum was holding me it's like what's that on his back because it stuck out and went grew inside and they said they're not sure so i got to go home for a couple of days and then they said you need to come back right now we need to get that out because it was benign but it could have turned Mm. malignant which is cancerous and then you're obviously in big trouble so that was obviously very tough for them. Uh, I owe a lot to my parents. They spent every night by my side in hospital with my brother Zach. My mum would be there all day. My dad would go home from work. Mum would take Zach home. They would swap parking tickets because parking is so expensive at the hospital. Dad would stay all night and then mum would come back the next morning with a fresh suit, kid get dressed at the hospital, go to work and then mum and Zach would take over. Wow. Um,
1: so your dad essentially never went home?
0: Yeah, barely. Yeah. Wow. And I think one of the things that I did learn as well is there's a photo of me in hospital with a little teddy bear like, hanging above my head, a blue one. I use it in my keynotes and I make the joke that I say my parents were by my side every night in hospital or so they say, where the f*** are they in this photo? That's what I say. <laughs> yes. And then my dad goes, <laughs> yeah. the story behind that photo is, you blew up with this infection. You got huge. Like my face blew up, oh. my back blew up, my legs blew up. And they called my the lady that saved my life, Miss Elizabeth Lewis, and they said something's happened, an infection or reflux, and we have to give him a lethal dose of steroids. And I would strongly recommend taking a photo because he probably won't be alive in the morning. They said that straight up. And Dad took the photo through tears in his eyes.
1: So you and, thought that was going to be the last yeah, photo he to his son?
0: He called Mum and they came and said, and then I woke up completely fine, <laughs> which is amazing. But so steroids a, work. That's they, the worst
1: night of their life. Yeah,
0: easily. That much steroids for a baby who's six months should kill you, but it was the only way to kill the infection that happened.
1: Now, what was your first experience of being disabled? Do you remember the first time that you realised that you were different?
0: I knew I was different from an early age, but never cared. I was very lucky that my brother, Zach, um, who we'll get to meet on this podcast, um, he was just such a big influence on my life. We used to go skateboarding and they'd get a skateboard for me to go on my stomach on the street. Like I was always included. But I remember I was four years old and I never had a wheelchair. We used to always use like a pram, you know like how kids use a pram. Yeah. And I remember I was four years old and I was in a pram and this little girl came up. You know, the shutter of the pram was closed mm-hmm. and it was almost like in the Simpsons episode. And the little girl's ran up and she's like, oh my God, it's a baby, it's a baby. And she's opened up and seen me I and did, she yeah. screamed. Because I was the same age as her and the same size. And she's like, why are you in a pram? And like ran away. And I was like, that is so true. Because
1: mm. your your family and your friends had been so inclusive. Yeah, exactly. And you didn't realise that. Yeah,
0: the first time wow. I felt alienated, like an alien, yeah. like someone different. And But it was also a turning point because I remember saying to my parents, there'd been talk of a wheelchair mm. and I was like, I need to get a wheelchair because that was embarrassing, mm. even for a four-year-old.
1: I imagine 23 years ago, around that, you know, four or five, uh, you're 28 years old the world looked a lot less successful than it is now. Do you remember any stories growing up where stair access or lack of ramps had had held you back in any way back growing up? Because I just – my school, I just remember Torquay Primary School. We had demountables with four stairs to them. Exactly. No ramps.
0: Yeah. I'm very lucky I was born when I was because if I was born in the 70s and then in my 20s and the 90s, it's tough. Like, you know, I drive a car these days and – You can take my hand controls, which is how you drive a car, Mm -hmm. out of my car into your car, Angus, in like 30 seconds and drive. It's too easy. you couldn't even drive a car, whatever it is, in the wheelchairs. But when you're younger and you're you're lighter at like weight, people just carry you and it's fine. When I really started noticing accessibility is when I started hitting like 12, 13, 14 where you become 40, 50 kilos and then all of a sudden it's a bit harder to get you around. But – Of course I did. Luckily my high school, a good school in Melbourne was called Brighton Grammar. Luckily they, it was quite a nice story. I couldn't afford to go to Brighton Grammar. It's quite an expensive school. Mm -hmm. And there was a family called the Comports and they had a young kid called Mark Comport. He had a disability and he went to Brighton Grammar and he died when he was at school. When he was in year nine and because of his because of his disability okay. complications with the disability, and his family wanted to give it to a young kid with a disability who couldn't normally afford.
1: Oh, so the education that he had, the funds that were going to go towards I got, his, yeah.
0: Oh, so I got you know a $200,000 scholarship to go wow. to school, and they renovated the whole joint to be able to do that. But there was some places I couldn't go, like for example, the library. And it's funny, you know, the school was so inclusive, but when someone goes to you, or everyone, we're going to go to the library, hey Dylan. We're we'll bringing a book down. It's nice, yeah, it's like the same. but you still feel like yeah. this shit. You're still doing the same thing, but you're doing it different. Yeah. And you know, when they decided to make it fully accessible, was was awesome. But I still face it all the time. There's a nightclub in Melbourne that I won't name that's pretty famous. And I remember a mate of mine was having a birthday there, and I got to the door. There was 30 of us. It was his 19th, and the guy on the door worked in another club that used to carry the stairs. And I was like, "Get mate. Can I come in?" And he's like, "Deal. I can't let you in." And I was like, why not, mate? Like, you know, you just carry me. He goes, brother, I'll lose my job. They've instructed me not to let you in. And I oh. was like, why? What have I done? And he goes, I think it's about the wheelchair. And I said, mate, don't worry about it. Just carry me up. He's like, I'm not kidding. I'll lose my job. He told me. So what he allowed me to do is he gave me the owner's number secretly. He said, call the owner, talk to him. I so I called the owner. I go, get a mate. My name's Dylan. I want to go into your club because I know exactly who you are. I was like, "Oh, awesome! You know,
1: can I come in?" By this stage, I'm "You're a tennis player, you're an athlete." No, no, no. Okay. Well, I'd
0: won a gold medal playing wheelchair basketball. Okay, but I was yeah. 19. But no, you he doesn't was. know that. Yeah, no, he didn't. It wasn't famous. He yeah. just knew me because I was, you know, used to go out a bit, and I was like, "I want to go into club." He goes, "You can't come in." I said, "Why not?" I'm just like every other person. He goes, "You're not a person. You're a f-ing fire hazard." I still face things like that every day, and I'm the famous one. They know. Imagine uh, if you're. Yeah. 40 years old with MS if
1: you go to a nightclub now and we're faced with that same difficulty Dylan Alcott being Dylan Allcott, will get in because they don't want to deal Correct. with the story that you could have yeah. because of your profile
0: yeah exactly right if you're just anybody else you still face that and that's why it's wow, so good crazy. to talk about that it actually happens you know
1: at high school how were your peers treating you? I mean, I imagine in primary school, it was like a little bit of like, you know, kids just play with kids that don't know about inequality or difference. But when you get to high school and you start building those social structures around you, friendship groups, girlfriends, et cetera, how, how were your friends or slash just other people at school treating you? I
0: was so lucky that I had a supportive group of friends, especially in primary school and high school. Um, I am so lucky. You're a product of the people that you associate with family, mm. friends, and I believe that. And I have the best people around me that never left me out, but there was a few 2 years of my life that I was pretty touch and go with my mental health. I got bullied immensely about my disability. People used to call me the cripple or the spastic every time I went anywhere in the classroom, to a party, whatever, and it killed me. Really did. Literally like I was just uh, my life was over. Mm. And it was really tough, you know, like those words heard and they're words that we all use still and I struggle with. For example, I always pull people up when they go, mate, I dropped my coffee, I'm such a retard.
1: Yeah, that terminology. Yeah,
0: and it's important because it just slips in. It's like when people used to go, oh, that's gay. Or people go to me, cripple. Well, you are a cripple, aren't you? Well, why can't I call you cripple? Because you are. It's mm. like, well, I actually am Dylan. But you know what? There's two things about school. One, it worked for me because I was so lucky to be out there and I got supported. Mm. People often ask me, would you rather be born with a disability and not know what it's like to walk or whatever? Yeah. Or be 22 years old, have an accident, know what it's like to kick a footy, feel the sand between your toes, whatever, and then lose it. It's an interesting question. But I think I, it's a
1: question that we're going to probably ask a lot in this podcast are, with future guests.
0: And I can't answer because I don't know how it's like to walk, right? But yeah. I can tell you this. If you have an accident tomorrow, Angus, which you won't, Touch but if you did, you have friends, family, beautiful girlfriend, people around you that can help you through that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I tell you the hardest part about growing up with a disability, going to school and getting mm. friends
1: starting to make starting
0: yeah because my friends would never leave me that was the hardest part
1: let's talk about you for a second as a physical being I only know you as how tall are you in the chair
0: uh, sitting down, I'm, I'm probably like 157 centimetres if you stretch me out,
1: 160 maybe. Yeah, but how tall were you meant to be if your legs yeah. were working? This so, is so interesting.
0: So my arm span is about 191 centimetres. So- And they say that that's- 6'3", six, three, six, three yeah. you're four. a big boy. Yeah, and my brother Zach's about 6'3". Yeah. One thing that I've got, I've got bigger features than Zach, bigger hands, mm-hmm. bigger shoulders. I think I would have been pretty large. Yeah, big boy. Um, huge dick. No. <laughs> <at all. laughs>
1: Can we talk about puberty? Does that affect you differently?
0: Yeah, for sure. Like, obviously, my legs are shorter, so they didn't develop as much. Mm. i got pretty normal size feet, considering I'm... Is that I mean, just,
1: like, muscular atrophy or whatever it is? Like, because you no, don't use them?
0: Well, or? no. That's, like, the actual length. So, muscular atrophy is when your muscles waste away. Yeah. That is because you don't use them. Do you know the best thing... One of the best things that ever happened to me was, Angus? What's
1: that?
0: I was so obese as a kid. I was fat as. Were you? Oh, yeah, baby. Huh. I was like pushing 90 kegs. I fat as. Good boy. But because of that, my legs were fat, right? Of
1: course, because they've still got to be stored. So
0: now they've wasted, but they're still normal width because of how fat they were. Oh.
1: Yeah, and right. now that I'm in my prime, <laughs>
0: yeah. 20 hours, still looking you know, Looking normal. all right, yeah. looking good. Um, but, yeah, I would have been a big unit, uh, I think. But it's great because long levers, long arms, helps you with shooting a basketball, pushing a wheelchair.
1: Reaching for tennis. Playing for tennis, correct. Yeah. It really helped me. Uh, curiosity from me. Do you get frustrated by able-bodied people, aka myself, being lazy?
0: The only one I get frustrated with is when you go to use an elevator and there's 10 people waiting for it who can walk, yet look at you, and su- most time, people that you go first, mm-hmm. there has been a few where they're like, oh, I've been here first, I'm just going to use it. Okay. And you're like, Take a ticket. there is nothing wrong with you, use your legs. However, I wouldn't say I think that you're being lazy. I tell you what I don't get, mm. I don't get envious. Oh, I honestly don't. It doesn't even cross my mind. Interesting.
1: Hey, let's talk about positives. Being in a wheelchair, being paraplegic, did you find that being in a wheelchair at any point growing up was a, a positive thing?
0: I think we as people, able-bodied or disabled, are incredibly good at you know using um, whatever they've got in their repertoire. Mm. To, to benefit themselves or to further themselves. And having a wheelchair is great, mate. You get heaps of free shit. Uh, I remember we used to go to movies at a place called Southland in Melbourne and kept free movie tickets when everyone else used to pay. Really? Just because I was disabled. Once I got the hang of it, being in a wheelchair helped in the dating world.
1: Now, this is something that we're definitely going to delve I into a little bit later on, but how?
0: The one angle that I use is everybody wants to be different, different hair colour.
1: People want to stand out, stand unique. Out,
0: different clothes, different mm-hmm. everything. Of course. And I think if you capitalise on your difference... Mm-hmm. It separated you. Yes, some people are straight away going to strike you off as no, because that distance is not into them. That's fine. That's like you might not like redheads or people with glasses. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, and that's not being discriminatory. It's just like oh, personal just, preference. I can't get aroused by that. No worries sure. or whatever it is. But for people that can, there's a point of difference there, and it's a conversation starter. But also, you're memorable. So that's one thing. Hard to forget the guy to who to was charming the in the wheelchair. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, so. I think it did play a bit of a role.
1: And we mentioned earlier that I hosted an event for you uh, a little earlier this year called Remove the Barriers, uh, which is about um, letting us recognize our unconscious bias towards people, uh, employment and disability. That was a catalyst for this podcast. We have mentioned that, but there was a story that you told at that event, which had mine and like everyone in the rooms, jaws on the floor in shock and anger and a bit of frustration. And that was that story of about you trying to get a job and the response from the employer. Can you tell that story?
0: Employment is one of the toughest things for people with a disability to find. Uh, The unemployment rate is double for people with disabilities compared to able-bodied people. There are 4.5 million Australians with a disability. 54% of them can find a job. Crazy. Super gnarly. Um, And we need to change that. and, And it's because of unconscious bias and discrimination. But I was 20 at Melbourne Uni and there was a brand ambassador role within the university. So I got to this place for a job interview and I was like, it's pretty scary here to be honest. And anyway, I, I, not ringing the doorbell, they kind of came down saw that I was in a wheelchair. Remember, I wasn't anybody at this stage, yep. so they didn't know. And they kind of opened the door like, yes. And I was like, oh, I'm here for the job interview. My name's Dylan Olcott. And they kind of looked at me awkwardly and said, oh, it was actually scheduled for upstairs. And I was like, well, come on down. And yeah. they kind of were I'm like, here. oh, look, it's probably not going to be the best fit kind of being here. So rather than move the interview downstairs, they just cancelled.
1: And you could have been the best employee could, ever. Not could
0: have been. Would have
1: been. Would have been. Um, before we get into sport, which is of course a huge part of your life and where most people listening to this would know you from, uh, let's talk about Ability Festival. Can you talk about the festival, its purpose, and actually what Ability Festival has done to help other music festivals and people with disabilities in the future?
0: Ability Fest started as a partnership between the Dylan Orcott Foundation and Untitled Group, which is a group of my friends who run boutique music festivals like Beyond the Valley. Oh, yeah, And it is a music festival just like any other. Coachella, Spent in the Grass. Falls Festival, the only difference is we have some added accessibility features um, for people with disabilities, so they can come with their able-bodied friends. So we have elevated platforms for people in wheelchairs to see, pathways along the grass. Auslan sign language interpreters on stage signing every single lyric. Which is
1: more entertaining than some of the acts.
0: Have you ever seen oh. sign language to rap music? Amazing. Looks like someone having an epileptic fit. <laughs> and the best thing about the sign language people is they get, they have a few Into it. They get into it, yeah. but also get on the cans with oh, their Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, they're like, they got their own rider. <laughs> oh, they had right. a rider. Yeah. Six <laughs> yeah. pack Six of Vodka Cruises try, back there. Like 24 pack. Oh, right. um, and we have like a s- sensory quiet area for people with autism and Asperger's and sensory disabilities. So If the music and the lights get too much, they go in this quiet area. It's got different tactile things to touch, Mm -hmm. headphones to calm them down, and then they can go back out and watch. Amazing. Um, The best thing is... People don't have that opportunity and it's so easy to do. We're just trying to, I guess, set a gold medal standard for other festivals to show because people with a disability deserve to go to live music and that just like anybody else.
1: You've since had meetings with other music festivals, some of the biggest in Australia, about bringing in some of those uh, features to their festivals in the future.
0: Yeah, my consulting company called Gets Guild Access, which I do with my brother and my dad and some people that you'll meet, we go now around Australia and, you know, doing audits on all the venues and festivals for Live Nation, which is, like, the biggest one in the world. Yeah. split in the grass. We've done some stuff. It's super cool. And I think Ability Fest is a beautiful day because, you know, we've raised $500,000 in two years all to help kids with disabilities. But there's one story that I like sharing. It's pretty heavy. But um, there was a young guy called Mark who went to the festival. And he had a thing called muscular dystrophy. It's when your muscles break down. And he was put on life support. He's about to pass away at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, and my mate James is the doctor in ICU. So he went in and he noticed he had an Ability Fest bracelet on, which meant he went to the festival a few weeks earlier.
1: Right, like the little wristband like you get it yeah. spun in the grass and yeah. whatnot.
0: And my mate James said, "Did you go to Ability Fest?" And the kid was like, "Yeah." And James said, "I went as well. I'm mates for Dylan and Mark." Said, "Can you do me a favour and tell Dylan that that was the best day of my life?" And the reason that it was is. Could you imagine being 22 years old, mm. never been to the footy, the cricket, a shopping centre, a music festival, a live music event, anywhere with his mates that was fully accessible and where he felt fully included. Yeah. That was the first time. And we just found out some sad news that Mark came to Ability Fest this year, but recently actually passed away. Oh. And his family got in touch and said that was honestly the best day of his life. He talked about it every day and we're actually going to donate the main stage Ability Fest 3 is going to be called Mark Stage (laughs) because of how loose he got there and how much he enjoyed himself. But it just shows. Do you know what it took to to find out what he needed? All we did, Angus, was ask some questions. Ask some questions and put some effort in and no matter who's listening to this, in what industry you're in, you can actually change people's lives if you take the time to see what they need. It's
1: amazing. Sport, I'll do the wiki accomplishment list uh, so you can pretend to be humble. Uh, Australian wheelchair basketballer, wheelchair tennis player... Uh, Dylan Orcott was a member of the Australians men's national basketball team, wheelchair basketball team. At the age of 17, you become the youngest Australian wheelchair basketball gold medal winner and the youngest yeah. to compete in the wheelchair basketball.
0: Youngest ever wheelchair basketball, not just Australian.
1: Ever? Okay. Um, well, there's the humble still, gone. Still trying to dog me. At the 2016 Rio Paralympics, you won gold in the men's quad singles and doubles for tennis and you were named 2016 Australian Paralympic of the Year. Uh, how did sport come into your life?
0: Sport came into my life, I reckon, trying to copy my brother in particular when I was a kid. He was very sporty and I think our whole family was, but Zach was good at sport. He used to do skateboarding, basketball, all these things and Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be like Zach to be honest. So Mm -hmm. I loved it. One thing that I did was, so when they played basketball, I would just sit on my knees and shoot the basketball because I didn't have a wheelchair. When I got a chair, I would just sit there and they hit tennis balls at me and I hit them back, but I didn't play properly. But what I did get, how I did get involved in sport is my brother played AFL. Under 11s, Mm -hmm. and he played, and I was the I was eight years old, and I was the manager of the under 11 (laughs) football team, and my dad was the assistant manager. So (laughs) I worked under you. I was the big dog. He cut the oranges exactly, and I loved it. And then I remember I was like 10. I remember getting sad that I couldn't play first time Mm -hmm. ever, and I went I want to start playing. So one of the tough things is when Zach played sport, he got a hundred dollar pair of footy boots. When I wanted to play sport, I needed an eight thousand dollar wheelchair just to even try it yeah. because you can't play sport in your everyday chair. It doesn't turn fast enough. You need a special sports chair to do it.
1: And so you can't use that sports chair for every day. You can't fit
0: through doorways because the uh, wheels are angled. Okay. You can't get get around. So you need both. So I finally got one. I didn't even buy my own. I borrowed one and that's when I first started playing tennis. And it was a bit, one of the best things that happened to me for two reasons. One, I could play myself. But two, it was the first time I ever met anyone else with a disability just being normal. And they were all older and they had girlfriends, wives, drove, lived by themselves, didn't get dressed by their mum, like, you know, because I was 10. Yeah. And I was like, yo, I didn't know I could do that. Getting exposed to live experience was was a super cool thing for me that really helped.
1: When did you realise that it was going to be a career path?
0: Well, I made my first Australian wheelchair tennis team under 18s when I was 12 and I beat a okay. bunch of 17-year-olds. <laughs> right. And I was like, oh, that's pretty good. And then uh, I actually had never played basketball until I was 15 and then, don't ask me how, but two years later, uh, we won a gold medal. <laughs> so I, I, I just picked up a basketball and I could shoot it. And it was all because I used to play with Zach in the backyard.
1: Mm, started and, there. And
0: I knew how to push a wheelchair because I'd played tennis. So I kind of picked it up pretty quick.
1: How did sport help define you as a person away from the courts?
0: Sport gave me the platform to, I guess, be confident, to have people appreciate what you do. It really means a lot to put your time and effort into a skill and to be successful and to people care about it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But also, who gets to represent their country with 12 guys who beat cancer three times? Mm. You know, one of my teammates was a good rugby player, got in a car after a grand final win with his fiance and best mate. His best mate lost control of the car. He lost his fiance and his best mate. He left the paraplegic, never to walk again. I was 17. They'd all been through, you know, the ringer, as had I. Mm-hmm. To sit on top of that podium, Angus, and to sing that national anthem when I was 17, I was like, I'm so lucky. And I'm very honored to do it. But also, I think I underplay how much it means to me to have a platform now. And you know when Roger Federer gets good at tennis, everyone wants to talk about it? No one gave a shit about me playing sport. Mm -hmm. The reason they do is because I worked my ass off to make sure that they did. To come on air, to, to put yourself out there. And it was super cool now that it happens. And I wouldn't have all this without sport, you know? One day, we want to have the best podcast in the world, but everyone will still come up to you and say, mate, Wimbledon, you know? (laughs) There's something about sport that everyone really gets into.
1: Uh, What's the proudest moment in your life in sport and personal?
0: Proudest moment in sport would have been probably winning the gold medal in singles in Rio for tennis. Yeah. Because I gave up on a gold medal basketball career. It's not choking to get it done. Another one was at the Australian Open this year when my final was in Rod Arena, 8,000 people there live into every TV in Australia, yeah. on the main channel of Nine, on the wide world of sports, I couldn't believe it, mate. Yeah. And just seeing the amount of kids with disabilities there, yeah, it was a bit emotional, to be honest. It yeah. still makes me a bit emotional. It was
1: beautiful. Me. I mean, I was there as well. Yeah. It was a great day to be there. But one of the first weeks that we got to know each other doing this radio show, and I remember walking down the street, and that lady came up to you, and she said, I watched you on the telly. Yeah, I remember. And I remember you, when you rolled away, like I was like, oh, that must happen a lot. You're like, no, but the fact that she watched me on the telly, yeah, that like was huge match. for you.
0: And and I keep seeing people now and talking about like, mate, that backhand you hit at Wimbledon. They watched. Yeah. they they like, they remember. They like, paid attention. Yeah. You know, it's Wasn't really cool. Man. Outside of tennis, yeah. Uh, I guess I'm super proud of the work that we do at the Dylan Allcott Foundation. You know, there are a lot of feel-good foundations out there that make people feel better, like Make a Wish and all that, which do a great job. Mm-hmm. Starlight Foundation, but there aren't enough that invest in young people with disabilities to become lawyers, doctors, Paralympians, musicians. There are way too many barriers for entry for young people with disabilities to become the people they want to become, and we're eliminating them for so many kids. And, you know, you have a board meeting and you'd leave that board meeting with just a pep and you step, pun the pun. I could win a school in Grand Slams, but if I don't use my platform to change perception of disability but try and help people that were like me... I really would be a phony, I reckon, and, and, and that's what I love doing. So, yeah, that's probably the main thing.
1: Now, this podcast, we promise for all guests, including you, Dylan, not to shy away from asking questions that people want to know. There is, a, a I guess, a little morbid curiosity from people who are able-bodied. When someone walks down the street and they've got like a, a limp or, or, or maybe they're in a wheelchair, there is a, we want to know what's mm-hmm. going on. And so we're not going to shy away from the questions from you either. Uh, it's time to get pretty personal. Yeah, let's do it. How do you cook? How do you clean? How do you reach high surfaces?
0: You can't reach high things. It's quite funny when people, i.e. like you, come to my house Mm. and go, where's – I've got to get a glass of water. And everyone looks in the top cupboards. Yeah. I go, not up there, brother. (laughs) Uh, I can't reach. I can cook and clean. It's obviously harder. I have two fears in life. One is at a music festival or out on the street that someone puts a cigarette in my eye. Because you're level. Because I'm level. That's one. Wow. Second one and the main one, dropping a hot pan or a thing of boiling water on my lap when I cook because uh, I can't jump out of the way. Yeah, It's very scary. So what they do is what I have renovate my house one day, you can get kitchens that go up and down now, like on hydraulics. Oh, like this like, um, like radio this, desk like is. this radio desk, yeah. Right? You can get one of them. So, yes, that is a cop-out, but I don't cook as much as I probably should. Okay. Shout out to Uber Eats, sponsor the podcast. <laughs> How do you drive? As I said, yeah, so I drive with my hands. So there's hand controls that are built into the car. Normal car. Yeah, so you get two bricks and a piece of string. To <laughs> um, and not any car, mate. You can go into any car. Yeah. So they're just poles that attach to the pedals inside the electronics. Boom. It has to be auto. It has to be auto because yeah. you can't use the clutch. That's the one thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Flying. You're always overseas or you're interstate. Can you take us through the process of boarding a plane? And maybe, if you want to, a recent story of prejudice that you came across.
0: Flying one of the toughest things you do because you lose your independence because they take your wheelchair off you because it doesn't fit down the aisle. So, what you do is you get put in an aisle chair, you get taken
1: to your seat, which is a thin version thin of a chair, very, right? Exactly right.
0: Long haul, they have to take you to the bathroom in that.
1: Also, oh, the air hostess will, you have to bing.
0: Yeah, and that's really bad.
1: And they bring the little chair out again yeah, and they wheel and, you out and everyone, they wait for you.
0: Yeah, and then when everyone's asleep in the aisle, you knock them over. It's really, but there's not much you can do about that. Yeah. That's kind of how it is. But airlines have monopolies on the market, don't they? Mm hmm. They treat able passengers like shit sometimes. Of course. I've had a few things. One, I was flying 80 months ago and I was in road 10 and I said, do you have an aisle chair in case I have to go to the bathroom? I was flying to Fiji. They said, yep, I got on. I've got to go to the bathroom. Oh, it's not policy to carry an aisle chair. We don't legally have to, so we choose not to. And they so said- You're
1: sitting there busting to go to the toilet. So the they gym. said,
0: they, I said, what do I'm going to do? They said, well, we can either carry you, but they were young ladies who weighed like 50 kilos. You can go to the bathroom in your seat or you can crawl- so oh. I, had to, I had to crawl.
1: You crawled down the aisle past passengers? Ten rows.
0: It was disgusting.
1: Humiliating? Oh, it was the, one of
0: the most degrading things I've ever done. But How also, did they justify that? How... Because the chair weighed five kilos. Right. Petrol weight.
1: Wow.
0: It's embarrassing, isn't it? Can you shower yourself? Yep. So I shower. I just, just sit in a chair, like a plastic chair in the shower. Okay. People often ask me, do I sleep in my wheelchair or my bed? I get out of my wheelchair. Hmm. People ask if I go for a swim, do I go in my wheelchair? That would be rusty. <laughs> you would drown? Yeah, and that would be heavy. <laughs> that would be a big brick weight. <laughs> yes, that would suck. Um, so, no, I do all those things. I'm fully independent, so I don't need a carer in yeah. any way. Some people with higher level disabilities do need a carer. And, yeah, looking forward to hearing more of those stories as well.
1: How do you go to the toilet?
0: So, I go to the toilet. I can kind of, luckily that I've got a little bit of use in in what I can do. So, uh, I don't have to sit on the toilet to urinate. I can, like, lean forward in my chair the same way like a guy would use a urinal.
1: Oh, so you can pee at the urinal, yeah, the
0: trough? I can. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Which helps because to all those people that use the disabled bathrooms, especially at workplaces, I can't hold on very well.
1: Yeah, your so bladder doesn't go. work as so well.
0: So I'm lucky that I can, my chair is narrow enough to be able to use the a normal cubicle or urinal. Yeah, which is lucky.
1: Sex. Is it possible?
0: Yeah, so I am very lucky that I have a beautiful partner, Chantel, and we can have sex. So... Dating was the one thing I was most nervous about. I'm the most comfortable and less I've ever been right now, which is great. It's the best feeling ever. Mm-hmm. And everyone's... Imagine being 17, right? Or 16 and whatever. It's losing your virginity. Imagine times that by a million, being in a wheelchair, yeah. not knowing and if means. you even
1: can. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because, I mean, I knew, I knew mine worked. Yeah. I knew I was ready.
0: You know, the first time like I propped it, like I'd done a bit of stuff, but it was like... You know, not really. The like, first I properly lost my virginity had, like, good sex. And I got a shout-out to my beautiful partner, Chelsea, when I was – like, she was 16. She, I was 16.
1: Yeah, that a, was a question I was going to ask about your dating life. 16. Shout-outs to her as a 16-year-old uh, to embrace and she doesn't you even, and love she, you.
0: She talks like it's nothing, right? For her to take a leap and go, I'm going to go out with the guy in a wheelchair, and she's a beautiful person. And I was so lucky I had her because, you know, I realised that I could be normal and things. I remember I went to Jack Johnson with a mate of mine, and I knew I was going to Chelsea's. I just, like – Chewed a Viagra as heart like it's like, She <laughs> smashed it, got there, ready to go, ready, worked the treat. <laughs> went into her bathroom and did like the I did a celebratory dance by myself,
1: pumping ear after oh, it was done, fist pumping.
0: I was that happy myself. <laughs> Kate as well, who was a bit later in life. She was, I went out with her for a few years. She was awesome, and and yeah, I've honestly met the most amazing person, Chantel, who she's actually a sexologist, so a doctor of sex. Like, she is trained in this and mm. she sees a lot of people with disabilities. And the one bit of advice that I give and that she echoes is this. You can have sex in whatever way you can have sex. Whatever normal sex is, yeah. who
1: knows? It doesn't have to be P and V. That's not the... But it's different to everybody, yeah. yeah. You
0: know, so... If you have a disability or if you don't have a disability, but, you know, whatever it is you're listening and you're having sexual problems, you can have sex in whatever way you can have sex, Mm. whether it's old sex, you know, nipples, whatever it is, you know. And for people with all kinds of different disabilities, they can have sex, right, in in whatever way that they can. And also if you're able-bodied and listening to this Mm -hmm. and you have a crush on someone who is blind, someone in a wheelchair, someone with one leg, someone with Asperger's, have a crack. Mm -hmm. Don't be scared.
1: Probably a really generous lover.
0: The best, clearly. No, no. But you know what I mean. I reckon it's it's one thing that we need to start talking about because the most beautiful thing that I have in my life is is my relationship. Same as anyone, mm-hmm. that personal relationship that you have with people. And if you get excluded from that sphere, that that world, just because you're disabled, that's a real bummer.
1: She's a sexologist. Was that a little bit stressful, worrisome for you? I mean, for a guy who has some complications with sex in in general to then have somebody whose career and life evolves around it.
0: I was shitting my pants that <laughs> yeah, I wasn't wearing. Um, <laughs> could you, right, I compare it like this. It'd be like having a tennis lesson with me. Because she's the best.
1: Yeah, she's the best. Does that make sense? She's the best of the best. You'd be nervous. <laughs> That's all I like think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right.
0: I was shitting myself. But also, I didn't think about this because you don't think about this, she was also nervous because she's obviously never had sex with someone with a disability. Mm-hmm. So she was worried about what's, you know, didn't know what was going to happen. So when we did and... She called me afterwards and goes, I want to catch up again. Clearly, I was very happy that I put in a good enough <laughs> performance. But every, that, people ask me that all the time, man. Yeah. How intimidated were you? And I was like, very. And also, she's you know the most beautiful person I've ever seen in my life. But as I said, she is super supportive of everything that I do. Oh, I, I can't. I'm not, I've am not i never been happier, put it that way. Yeah. I'm so lucky.
1: Well, this podcast is going to shine the light on people with disability. Uh, we have to kick it off with the guy who's going to help shine that light and has for many years. But uh, to a mate and uh, I guess a guest and uh, a, a co-host of a podcast with Dylan Alcott thanks so much for uh, being the first person to kick off our podcast listen Able.
0: and mate thank you so much as being that you know to show anybody disability or not that you can talk about these things and um, we can't wait to share this podcast with as many people all around the world and hopefully learn a few things but also have a laugh and, and really enjoy it so mate love you thank love you. you too man
1: Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Listen Able. Uh, This is going to be an ongoing podcast, so please subscribe so you're notified when every episode drops first. On the next episode, we'll introduce you to Ben. Mum and Dad left for the night promising they'd be back first thing in the morning. The, The next morning when I woke up, I opened my eyes and everything that I'd seen in that hospital room the night before was gone. I could feel my hands on the ends of my arms, so I held one hand up in front of my face and I couldn't even see that. And it was at that moment that I just buried my head back in the pillow and went straight into denial. Make sure you subscribed and if you did enjoy the episode, can you please write a review? Apparently that helps us in the algorithm of podcasts and gets us seen by more people. appreciate it. Listenable was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull.